0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Stop Turtle MMA Podcast on KGsidePress.com. I'm Danny gooby and joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Bermonte. Well, the UFC is finally back. We've got UFC Vegas 62 this weekend, headlined between Alexa Grasso and Viviana Ruyo. We will be breaking down that fight, as well as two other of our favorite fights, as well as giving you an underdog and a parlay to play, all part of our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. And as always, we're bringing you guys the interviews you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is our interview with Chelsea Chandler, who is fresh off her UFC Vegas 61 win over Julia asturian And she's talking about that win, a little bit about working with the Diaz brothers, and so much more good stuff, so you're going to want to tune into that. And then a little bit later on in the show, we'll be talking to AJ Dobson, who's getting ready to make the trip over to Abu Dhabi for next week's UFC 280. So, We're going to get you all that great content right now.
1: The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready.
0: Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. joining me today is chelsea chandler fresh off of her ground and pound first round victory over julia Stoliorenko at ufc vegas 61 so chelsea i wanted to start here you know like so many people talk about getting into the octagon for the first time getting to the ufc for the first time and feeling those octagon jitters you obviously
2: got it done pretty quick Did, did you feel any of that in there uh last saturday uh no, real I really didn't. Um, I I literally felt like I was home and I was ready to go. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with uh Victor, you know, preparing me. That that was also a really big stage. Shannon Nap has over there. So when I got here, it was there really wasn't a crowd either because you know Mark Zuckerberg had. Brandon, I don't know how it happened, but he was he was supposed to be there, and nobody else was allowed to be there. So it was super quiet, and um, I really felt no stress. And, like, this was the first time I'm in the octagon, and I was able to, like, look out, and I could actually see a couple people. And it was, um, yeah, it was nice. I, I didn't feel any.
0: And, and how much of that do you think was the fact that there was no crowd? Do you think a, a larger crowd would have made you feel more nervous? Or or do you think, you know, like you said, the Invicta experience, the Shannon Knapp experience, and, and being around that crew uh, just kind of made it so that uh, no circumstance would have sort of surprised you or made you feel jittery? Yeah, uh, you know, maybe
2: a crowd might do something, but... Um I don't know. I just I felt like I was meant to be there. It was my day and and I felt really confident in the matchup and and in my training partners and my abilities that I just knew I was going to go out there and dominate.
0: I love it. I love it. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about what led up to that. But before I do, I want to get into the fight itself because you know, she sort of scored an early takedown that seemed like maybe it surprised you a little bit. Did you feel like you were, like, caught off guard with what she did there? Or, you know, is that just, you know, an opponent executing the right moment for you?
2: Um, yeah, that's what the commentators were saying, that I, I was a little caught off guard. Uh, you know, I, I trained with a lot of black belts, a lot of black belt men. And, um, like, Sh- Sh- footlock Sean, Sean Nakamura, I trained with Guga, I trained with Victor Galvin. Um, and, and we did all of these things, armbar, armbar, armbar try to control the arm bar. So, um, and and I've been training jiu-jitsu and sambo for over, I think, eight years. So a lot of my jiu-jitsu specialties and things like that are underlooked and and not a lot of people don't see them because a lot of my fights do end up in knockouts and things like that. Um, So I was prepared. You know, I I get taken down sometimes. And and what I really had told the guys there was that, even if I get taken down, I really don't feel like she's going to be a submission threat. Like, I, I'm perfectly capable of getting out of an armbar and staying, you know, calm and collected in situations like that. Um, so, it didn't really surprise me. I knew we were going to go to the ground. I mean, it happened pretty early, but uh, I, I was prepared to, to get out of it and get on top and reverse the position. That's what I trained
0: yeah, and that, that's what you did pretty quickly, right? We, we wind up seeing that reversal so fast, and then every time she shot after that, you sort of hipped over and looked like you were in such a dominant position. Did you feel like you had her right from, like, the first time you hit one of those reversals, or did, did you feel like it was over even before then?
2: So, you know, I go back and watch the fight, and I feel like there was a lot of places where, you know, I could have, oh, I could have pressured her more, or I could have done this, or I could have done that, but... But the whole the whole fight camp, I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna come at this calm and and cool, and I know I can hit her, and I'm not gonna rush her, you know. And I feel like a lot of fights, you watch fights where the guy's doing real good, and they rush, and they get hit with something that they should never have been hit with, or they get taken down with something they shouldn't have been taken down with. Like the first the first the first takedown, I, I might have been pushing a little forward too much, you know. So then I was like, okay, you know what? Stay calm, get a little bit of distance, and and when I wasn't rushing her, her takedowns weren't able to to happen because um, I was keeping the distance, I was staying calm, and I was picking my shots. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah, that that's obviously some like real veteran, you know, savvy right there, and, and to be able to calm yourself down in that moment. So I wanted to ask you about that. You've obviously alluded to you know, lots of great training partners, a great place to train, you know, the experience of Invicta, but we are talking about somebody who is, who's only been a professional fighter for a little bit over four years, right, and and has only had going into this fight, had only had five professional fights going into this one, so to what do you attribute the fact that you, you know, are so ready for this moment, you are so calm and collected at, at this young stage of your career?
2: Um, you know that's a really good question because I did I did hear a lot of people talking about oh she's a rookie she's this and she's that, but um you know a lot of it has to do with my training partners and, and my training um from the beginning you know I, I started I people a lot of people don't know this but I I was they talked about it I was in Thailand I did Muay Thai I'm five and one in Muay Thai in pro Muay Thai so I have those fights. And then I came back and I trained in Stockton. I was with the Diaz brothers, you know, and then they have hundreds of fights. And, and you know, just being around that aura, seeing how, how they act, how they, how they take the pressure and, um, learning, learning from them. You know, I have Victor Galvin in my corner. He's been, uh, in their corners for the last 20 years. Um, just being able to adapt and tool things and watch and, you know, learn and, just being around that kind of, I think, prepared me for this. And then also my training partners, my my day one training partner has always been Leslie Smith, and she is a veteran, and she's amazing, and she's always been a great training partner for me. So people will see, oh, you got five fights, but, like, they don't see all the fights that I had with Leslie training. And every one of our training sessions, I considered a freaking fight because she comes a hundred miles an hour and she doesn't stop. You know, so all that all that time training with her and, and you know, training with Victor and things like that I think gave me um more experience. And the the reason why my record is I don't have all these fights is because, you know, I to start with, I always trained with men. Leslie was about the only female that I trained with in the beginning. And always training with men you know, sometimes
1: you get hurt.
2: I, I messed up my neck. I messed up my knee. And these were all injuries by men because I have an ego too. And I, I go a hundred percent, you know, so um, my pro debut got pushed off like two years. So I've been training and, and when I started training at the Jeep Academy, I was training three times a day, you know, morning, afternoon, and night. And that was a good four or five years. So. Like they look at my belt, and they they look at this, and they look at that, but they don't they don't really know the hours that I put in to train. You know, I my dedication is is I second to none. So, yeah, I mean, I just I train a lot, and and I was ready for everything.
0: I love that, and yeah, training with somebody who's had her ear damn near torn off, I have to imagine goes uh, quite a long way. Now, I I, I gotta ask you too because. You know, you, you said you you've been training like, you know, 8 years of sambo and you know, 5 years at the Diaz Academy and your pro debut got pushed off for a couple of years. You're only 28 years old. So we're not talking about somebody who's had, you know, an infinite amount of time in the gym. Did you always know that this is what you wanted to do? Did you always know you wanted to punch people in the head for a living? Uh, it's
2: actually a story on when I decided that I was going to do MMA. So I when I went to Thailand with my family, I loved it. I took off a year for school, and I, I liked it. I like training. I like punching. And, um, I mean, this goes back even before then. So, when I was a kid, uh, I went to this karate class. They had, like, oh, you get a free week or whatever. So, I went to this karate class in my town, and my mom took me. And they kind of, it was, like, maybe four or five years old. They had us, like, pick up So, I had this other boy who was my partner, and they literally had us, like, punching each other and kicking each other. This was my first day. I beat the brakes off of this kid, okay? I don't even, and I was like, Mom, I I want to go back. And she was like, you're never going back. She was like, I don't want what you did to him to happen to you, right? So, she just freaked out. But, I mean, I guess since I was a kid, I loved, you know, fighting and doing things like that. So um yeah, back to the back to the when I decided to do MMA. So I had already done all these Muay Thai fights, and I was training at the Jesus Academy. And uh, I think I was maybe 24 at the time. I just finished school, and Nate asked me, "Hey, are you gonna are you gonna fight?" And I'm like, "Okay, well I'm already training with Leslie at the time." And I was like, "I was like, do you think I'm too old?" Because you know, it's kind of I think 24 is pretty old to start a, a sport. And he was like, "No." you could fight. You could do it. I trained with Ronda Rousey. You can do it. So I think that day I was like, you know what? I can do it. So I just decided that day. I was like, all right, I'll fight. And and that's kind of where it went from from that day.
0: I love hearing that. And I love hearing the Diaz uh, sort of coach in the background, because I think that's a side of Nate. Not a a ton of us get to see, which is, is really cool to hear. Now, I wanted to ask you about what's next. I know obviously in the cage after a big win, they always give you those, you know, run of the mill questions. Who's next wins next. But now you've had like a week to sit down. You've had a week to go over your performance. You've had a week to sort of assess where your body's at. What does your body feel like now? Are you ready to get back in there by the end of the year still? it's what? What's the timeline look to before we see Chelsea Chandler in there again?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I would really like to get back in there as soon as possible. Um, I didn't I didn't really get to talk to them about my opinions on it. But this girl was durable, you know. She was a hard opponent. I think she had well, that was her twentieth MMA fight. I think she had twenty kickboxing fights. Like on paper it, she was supposed to blow me out of the water to according to all these critics. But um me being able to go in there and dominate her from the from the beginning to the end, I think it it put a statement on because you look at these girls that are in the rankings. I think Yana Kuniskaya, she fought her. They went to a three-round brutal war decision. Uh, she almost got off guard a few times. You look, she fought Julia Avila. That was like a three-round uh, war, and Julia eventually choked her. Um, but these girls that are all in the rankings, they're fighting this girl, and they're, they're looking pretty comparable to her. And I went out in there and blew her out of the water. So, you know, I really was h- hoping and thinking that I was going to be ranked after this performance, but I'm not. So, to be honest, I'll fight anybody. I've looked at every girl in the rankings, and I think I'll beat all of them. Um, so, I, it, really, it really just depends on what the UFC wants to do. I don't know if they want to build me. Do they want to throw me to the Sharks? I'm prepared for anybody. So, at this point, I mean, I've already called out Norma. I've called out that twerking chick. I really don't care who they give me. Um, I would love to fight at 45, but I really don't think that they're going to push that. So... January is probably uh, realistic
0: if I go to 35. Nice. Okay, that's interesting to hear because I was going to ask you too, you know, obviously this fight takes place at 140. I know some of that was the short notice piece for for Stoliorenko. Was, is there a reason why you prefer 45
2: to 35? I mean, if you looked at the fight, there was a a power difference, you know. Um, I hit hard. And I'm really the last girl I fought in Invicta was uh, Cordy King, who was way bigger than me. Uh, she probably outweighed me that day too. Um, I hit hard, and I I sometimes I like fighting the bigger girls, and I don't like to kill my body every time. Um, I had discussed that I would go up and down too, but um, I don't know. I just think it's it's safer for my body and my training, not having to kill myself before I got to go out there and fight. Like, I, I got to go die the day before I fight. To, so, it, And then, then at the end of the day, everybody's chasing a champion, right? So Nunez is a champion at 45, and she's a champion at 35. Why am I killing myself to fight the same chick? Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, why, why? Why am I going to go die when I got to fight the same chick? I should just be able to fight her at a good 45 pounds. So that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like, it's the same thing. At the end of the day, it's the same person. Why not have a little
0: bit of comfort? That makes perfect sense to me. Now, I do want to ask, because you brought up the champ. You're the one who's, you know, kind of got Amanda Nunes circled on there. And I think, you know, a lot of pundits would argue that she's probably going to be the person there for a, a reasonable amount of time. So she's the one you're imagining getting that title shot against. What in your perfect world, what's that timeline look like? Like you said, you, you've got a wealth of, of experience in Muay Thai and, and in the gym and against Leslie Smith. You've now got six pro fights under your belt. And, you are you know, like you said, you've established yourself in the division. Does this look like a one-year timeline to you in a perfect world where they, you know, rush you up? Or does this look like, you know, you'd, you'd like to get your feet wet a little longer and make sure that you, you're here to steamroll a bunch of women first?
2: Yeah. Um. You know, I'm ready. I mean you go back go back and look at Rhonda Rousey or um anybody. I think Rhonda had the title at what five, six, seven and oh or something. Uh I feel like there's big gaps in a lot of the women and at the end of the day it it really just depends on I mean, look at the UFC. They're they're booking these chicks every four months, every three months. So it's like I need to push and I also need to recover from these weight cuts. So at 45, in a perfect world, if we're gonna do some, like, futuristic things, 45 perfect world, knock out Norma Dumont, uh, they gave me one other girl, knock her out, I could fight Nunez in two, three fights. Um, that's if they, that's if they wanna push the 45 pound division, and I could probably fight 45 every two months, six weeks. Uh, 40, uh, 35, it's a little bit longer timeline, year and a half, uh, and just, it just really depends. But I I see myself going there. Um, I just need the the time and the opponents. So, yeah, 45, I feel like a couple fights I could get it. At 35, it'd take a little bit longer. But at the end of the day, I I still think I'm going to go the top.
0: I love it. Now, I want to ask you one more question before I let you go. And it's about the fact that, in the midst of a very exciting fight card where there were a bunch of finishes, particularly early in the night, you're one of the ones who gets the 50 K bonus. So I got to ask, what did it feel like when they, you know, announced that to you, when you got that phone call and do you got any big plans for the 50 K?
2: Okay. So this is kind of funny, but the whole camp, I was like, I'm getting that bonus. And I was like, I'm fighting this girl. She takes beatings. She sits on her back and she lets people stalk her. So the whole camp, I envisioned I was getting that 50K. Like I was like, this training session is so hard. I'm driving so far to do this. And I'm like, I'm getting that 50K. So a lot of the, my motivation in this camp was to get that, you know, so, so then when they, when it happened, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to get it. But then I'm watching all these fights and these, all these guys are getting these finishes and stuff. And I'm like, shit, I don't even know if they're going to do it. You know, my first fight, who knows how they still giving their viewers 50K. And I don't think a lot of their viewers get the 50K ever. So when they had, I was like, I think I'm going to get it, though. So then when they messaged me and said, congratulations, like right before they had posted it, I was like, hell yeah. I was so happy. Um, but then I was so they They give you your money for your fight after the next day or Monday. They wire to you. But but the fifty K haven't come, so I was like, Oh well, what goes on with that? So basically they make you wait like five or six weeks until all the drug testing comes back and you you know. Pay for something. So that's when you get your money. So I got six weeks to figure out what I'm gonna do with it. <laughs> Probably save it. You know, I'm I'm pretty I'm a pretty thrifty person. I don't like to waste a ton of money. Um so it's probably not going to be nothing crazy. I might upgrade my car a little bit, but uh, probably save most of it.
0: Well, that that's great to hear. Whatever you decide to do with it, we hope that you enjoy it immensely. Once again, fans, this has been Chelsea Chandler, fresh off of her big first-round finish of Julia Stoliarenko at UFC Vegas 61. Chelsea, thank you so much for the time. I really do appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Have a good day.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chelsea Chandler. I once again have Dan, your freely Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave, Dave Tremonti. Dave, we are gonna to get to talking about UFC Vegas 62 in just a moment, but before we do, I've got some UFC 280 news that I want to get your take on, that I want to get your feelings on before we dig too deep, and that is, as of today, we've got an announcement from Alexander Volkanovski that says he is officially. The replacement fighter, if Islam, Makachev or Charles Oliveira were to miss weight and they would need a last-second replacement, he's going to be there, he's going to weigh in, he's going to be the replacement. If he were to fight, let's say Charles Oliveira, we'll start there, what chances do you get to give him to be a double champ next weekend?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you started with Oliveira because I like that matchup more than I like Makachev for him. But... You know, he would be a dog to Oliveira, but I, you know, it's a fight I want to see. It's a fight I think he's in. It's a fight where he could maybe steal three out of five rounds and win via decision. I could see it going down like that. The problem is I've yet to see him at that weight. He's a shorter guy. I won't say he's not big because he's a guy who used to be like 215 pounds when he played rugby, But, uh, I worry about him against, I'll just jump the gun and go to Makachev. I would worry against, worry about him against a guy like Makachev, who I think bully him and outsize him, get him up against the cage and just out wrestle him. Where do you place his odds?
0: Yeah, so first of all, you you're right as far as the way the bookmakers see it cuz obviously the bookmakers dug right into offering odds for if either of these fights happen. Volkanovsky +120 underdog against Charles Oliveira, so ever so slightly an underdog, Charles Oliveira -140. And then if you send him against Makashev, plus +300. Uh, against Imla Makachev to Islam Makashev's minus 400. So, yeah, I mean, like, your instinct is correct there. But I will say this. I actually think I would like him better in a fight against Makashev. Uh, while Makashev's a bully, he's got a really good sense of distance, and, and we've seen him with really good takedown defense. The the one glaring, and I wouldn't call it a weakness, but, like, maybe the weakest part of uh, Volkanovski's game I think it's that like sometimes he puts himself in submission risks. We we saw that with with Brian Ortega, and I actually think that that's way worse with Charles Oliveira. Not to mention you mentioned the length, you mentioned the reach. Charles Oliveira is a guy who's much better at controlling that length and reach than you know say let's say Makachev is. So yeah, while while I agree with you that Makachev maybe winds up bullying him if if that fight happens. I actually think Oliveira's got, like, way more avenues to, to messing him up. Whereas, like, if he shut down Makashev's grappling, I, I think he'd win that fight. I, I think he'd make a lot of people look smart at plus 300 if he was stuffing takedowns. So, um, but either way, I'm happy to see that they've got him there and ready to go. Because, like, the dude deserves it. He He's wiped out that featherweight division.
1: Yeah, that, that's 100%. And I am very interested in him actually coming up to 155. Short of it being in, like, an emergency situation, you know, if they actually want to put a fight on the books and plan it out, something that makes sense, he's someone I'd be very interested to see him come up to weight. Much like I always wanted to see Mighty Mouse come up from 125 to 135, he never got to do it. But sometimes when a guy cleans out a division, it's just time. And, you know, we've mentioned the name uh, Israel Adesanya. He went up to 205. It was a little premature. It didn't work out. But that's what you got to see, right? I haven't seen Volkanovski at that weight. I'd really like to. Um, And I guess time will tell if it ever happens.
0: Yeah, and I I don't think it really hurt Izzy's brand, too. I I think we talked about it at the time and being like, oh, how bad does this look for Izzy? And uh, how much does this mess up his... It it didn't mess him up at all. Like, he's still the best 185-er right now, possibly moving in on of all time. Uh, Obviously, this fight with Pereira looms heavy. But, like... You know, he, he still wiped out that middleweight division apart from Pereira and, you know, whatever contender pops up next. But, like, he he has done an amazing job. And that one loss to Jan, I don't I don't think took any of the luster off. I think we would be saying the same thing. If, if Volkanovski lost to Charles Oliveira, he's still one of the greatest featherweights of all time. He's just not a guy who can move up and fight at 55.
1: And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'll tell you what else there's nothing wrong with. It's Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, our favorite segment on the show this week for UFC Vegas 62. Gumby, before we get into it, though, does anyone sponsor this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Vegas 62?
0: Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast, whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All
1: right, well, this is an interesting fight. We have a potential future title challenger in Alexa Grasso, a minus-195 favorite to Vivian Arroyo, plus-165 dog. Grasso, at one point in her UFC tenure, was 3-3. Three and three going into September, or excuse me, going into the year 2020. But in the past few years, she's reeled, reeled off three wins in a row, wins over Joanne Wood, Macy Barber, Jiyeon Kim. So on a three-fight win streak with a big rear-naked choke win over Joanne Calderwood in her last fight back in March of this year. Uh, Arroyo one and one in her last two fights. She lost to Caitlin Chikagian and then beat Andrea Lee back in May of this year, Wins over Roxanne Matafari, Montana De La Rosa going back to 2020. So if you want to stretch it out a little more, she's three and one in her last four, but she's a dog here. Who you got?
0: Yeah. And so like, if, if we're looking for a reason why Alexa Grasso has rattled off three straight and looked like a world beater suddenly, the answer is really simple. The answer is she's up a weight class and it is wildly fitting for her. You know, I, I think a lot of times when you look down at her at 100 and, uh, 115 pounds, she lost to, first of all, she she lost to some really great grapplers in Tatiana Suarez and Carla Esparza, but more so in those fights, too. What we saw being the biggest issue is she didn't seem to have the gas tank, especially in the Carla Esparza fight, maybe less so in the Suarez fight. Suarez just mauled her, um, but she didn't seem to have the gas tank in the, that fight, which is... Really, I I think a a product of the weight cut. Now that we see her up in the weight cut, her output is up. Her takedown defense is up. I mean, even her takedowns were up when she fought Joanne Wood. And I think all of those things lead me to to definitely picking her here against Vivian Arroyo because, look, she's got a much better striking output than Arroyo. And Arroyo is really hittable. I I think people forget, you know, this is somebody who who ate 130-some-odd strikes against Caitlin Shokage. And this is somebody who ate... 80 plus strikes from Montana De La Rosa, and let me tell you something, Montana De La Rosa is not somebody who we write home about their striking all that often, Jessica, I badly outstruck her, like, this is a fighter who has the ability to be a bully sometimes, but when it stays on the feet, really doesn't look all that great for it, and I think that's where most of this fight takes place, so I'm picking Alexa Grasso.
1: I like it. Uh Jonathan Martinez, a minus one eighty favorite, Cub Swanson, a plus one fifty five dog. Martinez on a three fight win streak. Uh he's looked really good here in the past year or two. Uh his last loss was to Davy Grant back in March of twenty twenty one. Uh he's flirted with one thirty-five and bounced in between that and one hundred forty five. Now I think comfortably just sitting at featherweight. He missed weight a couple of times at 135. He seems to have found the right division. And now he's going against Cub Swanson. A, you know, can you call him a legend? He's a legend of the WEC. He's sort of like a lesser-ish legend. But that being said, he is 3-1 and one in his last four. He's coming off a TKO, spinning wheel kick, finish it off with punches, a win over Darren Elkins, and he finds himself here at a plus-one-five dog if you taken? him.
0: So first of all, it's important to clarify this, which I feel like this this might have gotten missed and maybe it's just crazy to people. This is actually Cub Swanson going down to bantamweight. This is Cub Swanson deciding no longer is he a lightweight, no longer is he a featherweight. He is now down in Frankie Edgar territory, two divisions down where we've seen him fight before. And uh, let me tell you something, I'm really worried about that because the bottom line is, is Yes, Jonathan Martinez is a guy who did get knocked out by Davy Grant. He is a guy who's sort of been beat by dudes who are better strikers than him in the past. But he's also a dude who fights really smart. And we've seen him fight really smart over the last three fights. Picks people apart. Does a really great job. Cub Swanson's vicious, but at the same time, like, will he still hold that vicious power after he sucks himself down within an inch of his life? Because I'm pretty sure that's what it's going to take to get Cub Swanson at whatever age, cu- how how old is Cubs? Swanson can't possibly still be young. But whatever age Cubs Swanson's at, I don't think it's a good idea for him to be down at that weight. So I, I'm going with Jonathan Martinez almost as a fade to that weight cut. Yeah,
1: and Swanson is 39 years old. Yeah. So no, it it too, only gets tougher. Too old to be making Bantam weight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, then, let's move uh, on to Askar Askarov, a minus 230 to Brandon Rival, 195. Rival, after two losses in a row to Brandon Moreno and Alexander Pantoja, has come back with two wins in a row. Uh, he's coming off a submission guillotine victory over Matt Schnell. He finds himself here as a plus 195 though almost a 2-1 to dog against Askarov. Who you got? I'm going to go with Brandon Royval.
0: Uh, you, you, you know me. I always like to find one dog here on this main card. This is a guy who submitted Tim Elliott and just sort of outlasted him and made his grappling, you know, work for him. This is a guy who stunned Kai of France on the fee. And, yes, I know we're talking about a guy who also lost to Brandon Moreno. Moreno did dislocate his shoulder in, like, a weird slam. So I'm not sure how much I'm taking that to the bank. And, yeah, Pantoja looked great. I also happen to think Pantoja is maybe the best flyweight in the UFC right now. So, you know, all of those things being said, Roy is, like, pretty damn good outside of that. So I'm going to take him here against Askar Askarov. I think he's going to concede a lot of takedowns. Askarov doesn't do a lot of damage when he gets those. I also think there's a chance Roy catches him on the way down. And I also think the fact that Roy Ball's going to know they're coming is going to stuff a lot. We just saw Kaikara France stuff 12 out of 14 against Askarov. I like Roy Ball to keep his feet enough here and win this
1: one. Our dog of the week is Sam Hughes, plus 160. Let's hear it.
0: Yeah, so I think she's only a dog here because Pierre Rodriguez is coming off the Contender Series and people are hyped on her. In addition to that, Sam Hughes, you know, a really rough start in the UFC. She lost a slew of fights in a row. Since then, that bounce-back fight after moving to Fortis MMA, she looked incredible. Um, And for me, you know, like when when you change camps and you have such a clear change of, not, not just ability level, but game plan. Like, she just went for it. And now she's got back-to-back wins over Selena Nunez and Elise Reed. I think she's a completely different fighter now. And I think she's going to surprise a newcomer here with both her physicality and her clinch work. So give me Sam Hughes here on the plus money.
1: Boom, I like it. Uh, let's move on. We've given our dog of the week. But now our parlay to play is Dusko Todorovic, a minus 190, and Victor Henry, a minus 330. Pair them together, two favorites, a two-to-one, a three-to-one favorite. Pair them together. It does get you even money, dollar for a dollar. Break it down.
0: So, yeah, Victor Henry, I mean, the dude has looked incredible since coming to the UFC. Uh, he's a Josh Barnett-trained guy, so that I already like. And it's not even his grappling that's made him look incredible. It's been his hands more than anything. So we get to see him here against an aged-out Rafael Sunsau a dude who has just been on – the ugliest of ugly declines as of late, and I think this is kind of the nail in the coffin for him. If he's going to be walking out of the UFC, they want him doing it to a guy who who they think they can hype up, and I think Victor Henry is that kind of guy. So give me the 330 money, but obviously we don't like to play just straight money lines that look like that. So let's pair him together with Dusko Todorovic, which. He, he's fighting a guy who I've always kind of faded in Jordan Wright. I think he's a flashy striker. I think he's a powerful striker. But I also think he's sloppy as hell. So I, I really think he's going to get caught here against Todorovic. I, I think it's going to be a quick fight. I think it's going to be an easy fight. In negative 190, uh, man, I, I think you could do a lot worse than that. So put them together. Let's get that even money.
1: Boom. He might be sloppy, but we're not sloppy. Let us know if we did you right with these picks. You could even let us know if we did you dirty with these picks. At May, on all the social medias, except Facebook. We don't like Facebook. Gumby, this train is a rolling down the tracks. Where do we stop next?
0: So we're going to transition now to my interview with A.J. Dobson. We just talked about a guy who trains with some of the best in Josh Barnett. Let me tell you who A.J. Dobson trains with. He trains with Mark the Hammer Coleman and Matt the Immortal Brown. We talk about that as well as him getting ready for his upcoming fight in Abu Dhabi. We're going to get to that great content for you right now. All right, and joining me today is AJ Dobson, who fights Armin Petrosian at UFC 280. That's on October 22nd, live from Abu Dhabi. So, AJ, I wanted to start there. You know, you're getting a chance fly halfway across the world, fight in a place that people have been talking about for years now. What's it like getting the opportunity?
3: Yes, yeah, definitely an, ex- uh, an experience. Uh, I'm super excited to go to that part of the world. I've never been there before. Only thing I'm a little concerned about is that uh, 17-hour transit. But <laughs> as long as I- those couple days before will be a little rough, but uh, it'll be fun. Yeah, and I've, I've heard a little bit about,
0: uh, you know, fighters when they travel and, in, in, you know, the biggest thing being you, you don't get to stretch out, you don't get to warm up, you don't get to do your usual activity in that 17-hour transit. How, how about how about like weight cuts for you are you worried at all about that kind of stuff leading into uh leading into fight week
3: no no not at all i i train so much that uh when it comes close to fight time the weight kind of just comes off you know th- as long as i stick to my diet and everything like that the weight usually comes off and i'm usually cutting about only 10 15 pounds so not really worried about the weight cut.
0: Awesome, good to know. And and you know, I I know you usually have a a pretty veteran looking corner behind you. I know in your last fight you had Mark Coleman. Yeah, who has been more well traveled than Mark Coleman, right? Yeah. Is is he coming with you again to Abu Dhabi?
3: Yeah, that's a plan. Uh, again, with with the um, the fight being in Abu Dhabi, the tickets have been a little you know uh, weird. Like we've been still trying to figure out the travel. But yes, he's definitely uh, going to try and make it out. Uh, so hopefully we'll see the hammer in my corner
0: that that's awesome and and what what is it like having a guy who you know it's not just you know a really great mind in the world of MMA not really just seeing everything there is to see but I I mean he's a phenomenal mind when it comes to the game of MMA what has it been like having him
3: as, as sort of like a mentor for this whole ride it's been amazing he's such an inspiration he has stories for days and you know he's been to the the top you know many times so you know, any kind of thing that I'm feeling, anything, any question that I that I need or, or I'm unclear about, he always has an answer. He's been there, and he's also um, uh, built other champions. So it's it's been it's been amazing to have him around. He's a wealth of knowledge. That that's awesome to hear. And it, it sounded like in, in that answer a little bit, you you sort of hinted at
0: he's a wealth of mental knowledge as well as physical knowledge, right? Like he's he's a big wrestling guy, obviously. You know, the Godfather of grounded Pound, we call him. Yeah. But like. Is he, has he been big for your mindset as well? What has he sort of done for you on that side of the game?
3: Absolutely. You know, just letting me know that I'm doing the right things and I'm on the right path. You know, days that you come in and you don't feel your best, uh, you know, letting me know that that's normal. He's been there. He's, you know, it, 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 he's just a, a great person to kind of just let me know that everything is all right. You know, th- he's been amazing for my mental health
0: that that's awesome to hear now I also have to ask if I'm if I'm talking about guys you're training with too the fact that you're also Matt Brown trained like if we're, we're talking yeah. about having a couple of guys who've seen some things you got Mark Coleman in there you got Matt Brown Matt Brown seems like a guy who who maybe does a little bit less of that behind the scenes work but maybe I'm wrong what is it like having Matt Brown as one of the guys you go to
3: so with Matt Matt is the one that kind of taught me how to train you know what I mean he took me to the next level the first uh you know, big camp that I was ever a part of was his fight against, um, uh, I think it was Mike Pyle. And uh, I remember we went to Colorado for the whole thing, and I, it was the hardest camp I've ever been through. But from there until now, like, he's just taught me how to train, what to do, how to fully immerse yourself in the sport. So between Coleman getting my mental together and then Matt teaching me how to train and letting me know, you know, what it takes to kind of be a top UFC fighter, it, it, it's been it's been amazing to have these guys.
0: And you could do a lot worse than a guy who survived to whatever his age is now at this point in time, still kicking and still kicking ass too at the same time. (laughs) Absolutely. So now I have to, we have to talk a little bit about, you know, obviously the fact that you you finally did get to make your debut after having a little time off following the contender series, right? You win your contract, you get your first fight against kind of a a highly touted opponent in, in Jacob Melkin, a guy who people have you know, sort of pegged as one of the, the more impressive guys coming out of the New Zealand-Australia area, you, you wind up losing a very tough decision to him. W- was there a big takeaway from that fight for you? Was there something that you felt like you gained in that fight?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, that fight really humbled me because the biggest thing was uh, I, I wasn't 100% going into that fight. Um, I had really injured my knee uh, pretty badly. I had a bucket handle, meniscus tear. Um, for some years prior to that fight um, that I couldn't get fixed. You know, being a broke fighter before you get to the UFC, you know, it's hard to get any kind of surgery. Um, so after the Contender Series, I should have just got the surgery, you know, rehabbed and got 100%, but I was so excited to be in the UFC, so so happy to, to be there, so wanting to, to, to please everybody that I just kind of, you know, forgot that I'm human and, and, and took that fight. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, Malcoon did what he did, he implied he his game plan, but you know, if I was one hundred percent, I think that fight would be a lot different.
1: And, and so then I gotta ask now.
0: Obviously, following that, if you did learn your lesson, I, I assumed you went <laughs> and t- took care of the knee. What what was the recovery like on that? And and how are you feeling as far as like mobility and quickness and all that kind of stuff now?
3: Yeah, so um, I I got the uh, the surgery immediately after that last fight, um, and it's so interesting because the the doctor says usually a meniscus tear. Um, even a bucket, bucket handle—it's about what, like fifteen minutes, if that, to get cleared up. But apparently, mine took almost forty minutes it, because it was so just lodged in my knee, and I would had it for so long and was training on it for so long. Um, so after I got the surgery, I made sure that I took the proper time off, did the proper rehab, and and uh, I was finally able to get back to one hundred percent training. You know, before I got the surgery, I couldn't really do road work. I couldn't really grapple, you know, just for fear that I would tear my ACL. Um, so now I'm able to do road, road work. I'm able to run the stairs and, and uh, run long distances and grapple and do jiu again. So it's almost like I'm, I'm refinding that love of MMA again. And, and I'm getting some you know, a, a sort of body nostalgia, you know, being able to feel as good as I felt before the injury. So it, it, it's been pretty cool.
0: That's great to hear. Now, I got to ask you, because you mentioned jujitsu, jitsu you mentioned wrestling it seems like it's important to mention all of that, heading into a fight with a guy like Armin Petrosian, who's, who's. let's face it, he's a kickboxer by trade who made the switch to MMA. A lot of people yeah. see him as sort of that, that one-dimensional guy, that guy who does, you know, mostly kickboxing. So I have to ask, when they offered you Petrosian as an opponent, what were sort of your thoughts on on him in, in being that kind of fighter?
3: Um, You know, I was excited. You know, I, uh, I've always wanted to... I want to put on a show. You know what I mean? I, I want to put on a fight that, that fans will watch and, and then, and talk about it. And he seems like somebody that'd be, that'd be perfect for that. But again, this is, this is MMA. So I'm not, I'm not really holding him to, to just stand up. I know he's been in Russia and, and in Dagestan working on his wrestling. So this next fight, he can be a completely different fighter. So I'm not really looking at him as just a stand up guy. Um, I'm sure his stand, his striking is going to be way better than his, uh, than his wrestling, but, um, but I, I'm excited to see uh, how he's evolved. I,
0: I like hearing that. Now, I, I also want to ask you, too, a little bit about being offered him in the first place. Because, you know, like I said, you you did lose a very close decision against the highly touted guy, Jacob Malkin. But, but Petrosian is coming off of a win over Gregory Rodriguez, a guy who's pretty much torn through the middleweight division at this point in time were you sort of surprised that you you got this guy coming off of this massive win when when you yourself you know had a shattered knee and and fought to decision and are coming off of a lot like you got a big matchup here what do you think that says about how the UFC feels about
3: you um honestly I I, you know I haven't really thought too much about that but you know I think it shows that they 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 know that we're both exciting guys you know what I mean we're we're both going them back down on our mouthpiece and swing and, and put on a show for the fans. So I think they just saw both of our styles and, and uh, saw a lot of fans, you know, potentially being excited. So. <laughs>
0: well, we are definitely excited for the fight. Now, before I let you go, I always like to ask all my fighters for a prediction. You know, you mentioned this fight's going to happen everywhere. You definitely think this one's going to be exciting. But how do you see this one ending on October 22nd?
3: Ooh man. Um, I know it's going to be a barn burner for sure, but I really think uh, I might catch him in the, in the, the first or second round. Don't All, right. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here first,
0: folks. This is then AJ Dobson, who fights Armin Petrosian at UFC 280, that fight live from Abu Dhabi on October 22nd. AJ, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate
3: it. No problem. Thank you.
0: And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsor, Maroon Social, and remind you guys that you can check us out on the social media apps, uh, both Twitter and Instagram, at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. Until next week, I'm Danny Gubby freeland He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.